her terrible sin, she's going to be cast off, but God will renew her. Ezekiel 36. Also thou son of man, prophesy unto the mountains of Israel and say, Ye mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, because the enemy has set, has set against you, aha, even the ancient high places are ours in possession. Therefore prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord God. Because they have made you desolate and swallowed you up on every side, that ye might be a possession unto the residue of the heathen. And ye are taken up in the lips of talkers and are an infamy of the people. Therefore ye mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. God, thus saith the Lord God to the mountains and to the hills and to the rivers and to the valleys, to the desolate wastes and to the cities that are forsaken, which became a prey and a derision to the residue of the heathen that are round about. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, surely in the fire of my jealousy have I spoken against the residue of the heathen and against all Edivia which have appointed my land into their possession with the joy of all their heart, with despiteful minds, to cast it out for a prey. Prophesy, therefore, concerning the land of Israel, and say unto the mountains, and to the hills, and to the rivers, and to the valleys, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and in my fury, because ye have borne the shame of the heathen. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, I have lifted up mine hand. Surely the heathen are about you, they shall bear their shame. But ye, O mountains of Israel, ye shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they are at hand to come. For behold, I am for you, and I will turn unto you, and ye shall be tilled and sown. And I will multiply men upon you, and all the house of Israel, even all of it. And the cities shall be inhabited, and the waste shall be builded. And I will multiply upon you man and beast, and they shall increase and bring fruit. And I will settle you after your old estates, and will do better unto you than at your beginnings." And ye shall know that I am the Lord. Yea, I will cause men to walk upon you, even my people Israel. And they shall possess thee, and thou shalt be their inheritance. And thou shalt no more henceforth bereave them of men. Thus saith the Lord God, because they say unto you, Thou land devourest up men, and thou hast bereaved thy nations. Therefore thou shalt devour men no more, neither bereave the nations any more, saith the Lord God. 
Neither will I cause men to hear in thee the shame of the heathen anymore. Neither shalt thou bear the reproach of the people anymore. Neither shalt thou cause thy nations to fall anymore, saith the Lord God. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own way and by their doings. Their way was before me as the uncleanness of a removed woman. Wherefore I poured out my fury upon them for the blood that they shed upon the land and for their idols wherewith they had polluted it. And I scattered them among the heathen and they were dispersed through the countries according to their way and according to their doings I judged them. And when they entered in unto the heathen, whither they went, they profaned my holy name when they said to them, These are the people of the Lord, and are gone forth out of his land. But I had pity for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, whither they went. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen whither ye went. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them, and the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols which I will cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you an heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And ye shall keep my judgments and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And ye shall be my people. And I will be your God. I will also save you from all your uncleannesses, and I will call for the corn and will increase it and will lay no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field, that ye shall receive no more reproach of famine among the heathen. Then shall ye remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good, and shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and for your abominations. Not for your sakes do I this, saith the Lord God, be it known unto you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord God, in the day that I have cleansed you from all your iniquities, I will also cause you to dwell in the cities, and the waste shall be builded, and the desolate land shall be tilled, whereas it lay desolate in the sight of all that passed by. And they shall say, 
This land that was desolate is become like the Garden of Eden. And the wastes and the desolate and the ruined cities are become fenced and are inhabited. Then the heathen that are left round about you shall know that I, the Lord, build the ruined places and plant that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. Thus saith the Lord God, I will yet, for this be inquired of by the house of Israel, to do it for them. I will increase them with men and like a flock, as the holy flock, as the flock of Jerusalem in her solemn feasts. So shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of men, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Especially those verses 25 through 27 that we'll be holding on to as we look at Lord's Day 26 in the Catechism. Find that on pages 14 and 15 in the back of your Psalters. Question 69. How art thou admonished and assured by holy baptism that the one sacrifice of Christ upon the cross is of real advantage to thee. Answer thus, that Christ appointed this external washing with water, adding thereto this promise, that I am as certainly washed by his blood and spirit from all the pollution of my soul, that is, from all my sins, as I am washed externally with water, by which the filthiness of the body is commonly washed away. Question 70. What is it to be washed with the blood and the spirit of Christ? Answer, it is to receive of God the remission of sins freely for the sake of Christ's blood, which he shed for us by a sacrifice upon the cross. And also to be renewed by the Holy Ghost and sanctified to be members of Christ, that so we may more and more die unto sin and lead holy and unblameable lives. Question 71. Where has Christ promised to us that he will as certainly wash us by his blood and spirit as we are washed with the water of baptism? Answer, in the institution of baptism, which is thus expressed. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. This promise is also repeated where the scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, Ezekiel speaks to Israel as they are in Babylon. 
And they are in Babylon because of their sins and of their idolatry. And God is a jealous God, jealous for his own honor and glory. God sent them there. It was not the heathen nations, really, that overcame them. God used those nations. But it is God who was punishing Israel, his people, the church, by captivity. But then he holds before them a wonderful promise. They will return. They will return, and the Lord is going to do something awesome for them. He is going to sprinkle them with clean water. He's going to give them new hearts so that instead of delighting in walking in sin, they will hate sin. They will flee from sin. They're going to live for the Lord God. And in the typical sense there, they're going to enjoy again the land of Canaan as a land of milk and honey. The Lord will restore them. What a great future. And we can look at that whole story in the Old Testament, and we know that the whole Old Testament history there is a type and shadow of the great restoration that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. The boys and girls will remember from catechism that when all of Israel was taken away, the ten northern tribes never returned again to their own land. And of Judah and Benjamin, only a small remnant came back again, a little over 49,000 saints. And the land right away did not look like a land of milk and honey. There was desolation all around. There were cities that had to be built again and farms cleared of stone and salt in order that it could produce. It's looking forward, isn't it? The type always has to fail so that we look for something better. The reality the reality of the church of Christ in the New Testament. God has one people. God has his church. There is the one covenant of God. And baptism is the testament of God's everlasting covenant. One covenant. If you go to Hebrews chapter 8... It reads about a new covenant, doesn't it? The old and the new. But it's not really speaking about total different covenants. It's a different administration. The mediator of the old covenant in Israel was Moses who gave him the law. Moses is but a type of the true mediator, Christ Jesus, who is our mediator, our Savior, the mediator of the entire church. There is a change from the Old to the New Testament because in the Old Testament, the law was written upon tables of stone. It was external and disobeyed so many times. But in the New, there is the promise that God is going to take his law and write it upon the hearts of his people instead of tables of stone. And thirdly, 
the new covenant brings a fuller and more complete revelation. In the Old Testament, there were the types and the shadows. There were the animals that were sacrificed over and over and over. There was some water of purification that was used. There were the prophets and the priests and the kings. They were all shadows of the future. All of them were fallible. And in the New Testament, then, we have the Lamb of God who shed his blood once and for all. You have that inward working of the Holy Spirit that is pictured in the sprinkling of clean water. Yes, one covenant. Fully realized now in Christ Jesus and to be perfected finally when Jesus comes again. Then the church of Jesus Christ, his people, will be taken to that land of milk and honey, the new heavens and the new earth, where there's no more sin, no more sorrow or pain, trouble, no more death. What a day that will be. So we go from the external here in Exodus, in Ezekiel chapter 36, to the reality. God has an everlasting covenant. And in that covenant, the Lord's going to do a new thing. The sign is going to give way to the reality. The promise will be fulfilled, will be realized. Outward Israel was no longer going to be the distinctive covenant people, but rather all the children of faith. All the children of faith from every nation of the world, they will receive the seed of blessings. They will be heirs according to the promise. You see, the covenant takes a new form. In Christ Jesus. So, baptism as a sign, as a symbol, as a testament of God's eternal covenant. Notice, first of all, why baptism? Second of all, notice the new heart and the spirit within. And notice, thirdly, that baptism speaks of the blood of Jesus Christ. We see the hand of the Lord here with his Old Testament church. What a change. The Lord is a jealous God. We read that in verses 5 and 6. Jealous of his own honor. Jealous of his own name that was being profaned by God's people. They need to be sprinkled with clean water. They need new hearts so that God will be glorified in them, that God's name will be glorified in them. So now we might ask, why is there the change in these symbols of that covenant? 
The symbols of the old covenant was circumcision. That is a piece of skin cut off from the male man of the boys. Off that part that is used for procreation. And that cutting off of the skin shows that the defilement that is passed on from father unto son unto children's children, all that we are able to do is bring forth into this world children of wrath, children of sin. God has to do something. Sin. The catechism writer talks about the filthiness of God's people. And that's why he sent them down into captivity. The catechism speaks of our filthiness. The sins in our minds. The sin you, uh, uh, by our tongue as we speak. The sin of the way our feet walk. Sin and pollution. In the Old Testament, there were various washings, weren't there? There were the washing of the Levites who were separated out unto God to be those who would work in the temple service. There would be the sprinkling of water for women after they had given birth. There would be the cleansings for those who had touched anything dead. All these were old things. But now as we step from the Old Testament into the New Testament, those old symbols are pushed away. No longer an outward ceremony. For much of Israel's religion was external, wasn't it? Looking at the temple that was built, looking at the land of milk and honey, looking at the lambs that were slain over and over. It was very external. But in God's word here, the prophecy that comes, it speaks about something that's going to be done internally. Away with that blood that is shed over and over and over again with the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Why? Because Jesus Christ came to fulfill all righteousness. He died as the perfect Lamb of God. And that's why John the Baptist cries out, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Christ Jesus' blood was shed there on Calvary because he was victorious over sin and Satan and death. And he does a wonderful thing. He promises it in John 14 through 16 that he is going to pour out his spirit into our hearts. Hearts that are softened by God himself. Yes, the old ceremonies must pass away because the type is replaced with the reality. Yes, we still have a sign, don't we? The sign was changed from a bloody one to
to now without blood because the blood of Christ was shed once for all. Think of those two feasts or those two institutions of the Old Testament. The circumcision that was done upon the boys and men. Bloody. Bloody. Can you hear old Zipporah saying to her husband Moses, you bloody man, he did not keep the covenant of God that is circumcise his own sons and that's why sickness came upon him. He was lying next to death. And it is his godly wife Zipporah that must do what Moses didn't do. Replaced. No more blood necessary because Christ shed his blood once for all on the cross. And so instead of that bloody outward thing, there is the outward symbol of water. Or look at the Lord's Supper. Where the lamb had to be sacrificed and eaten by God's people. Bloody. The blood put upon the doors of each tent. No more blood. Rather the Lord's Supper is now a celebration with wine and with bread. Because Christ is our nourishment. Blood done away with. Real circumcision and real baptism are salvation by God. It is the removal of sin from us by the sacrifice of Christ Jesus on the cross. Yes, there is the same spiritual reality that's pointing to, whether it be the circumcision in the Old Testament, now in the New Testament, the water of baptism, they point to the blood of Christ Jesus sacrificed once on the cross. Why does God do this? Why was God willing to take his sinful people in the Old Testament after the captivity and bring them back into their own land of milk and honey? And the answer God says over and over is because of my faithfulness to the covenant. You see, God is not dependent upon man, not in the Old Testament, not upon us. It's not because they suddenly became so much better. No, because God is faithful to his covenant. He would not cut off his people. But they will continue in the form of a remnant who come back to him, who will serve him again. That covenant of God that he is faithful to that does not depend upon conditions that we do. That is where our churches stand apart from all the other reformed churches Whereas they say now the condition for the covenant, the covenant is made with everyone in the church that is baptized, but you can lose it. You can lose it if you don't have the faith that you have to give to God instead of your works. Beloved, I am thankful and you and I both together should be thankful that our relationship with God does not depend upon what my hands have done or what my heart wants to do 
it is entirely done up to God. Because if for one moment I thought that it depended upon my works, I would be in great doubt of my salvation. But not the works of our hands, says the hymn writer. Not the hands of our hand, but rather God's faithfulness. God who takes the life inside of himself <clears throat> and now shares it outside of himself with his people. When God makes that covenant with us and with our children in our generations, it is an unbreakable covenant. That is, the Lord maintains that relationship. And just like when the Old Testament people wandered away from God, God hauls them back again to himself, God still does that with you and me today. He is faithful. So God, who determined his covenant life with us, who maintains that life with us, has realized that relationship with us in the blood of Jesus Christ where our sins are removed, for that's the only way, that's the only way a holy God can walk with us. If we have been made righteous and holy in Christ Jesus. And it is our God who will perfect that relationship, as I've said, in the new heavens and the new earth. Now there's still many times, and even there in Ezekiel's uh, chapter there, that prophecy, it says, you're going to remember. You're going to remember all your sins, and you are going to sorrow over it. Verse 31, then shall ye remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good and shall loathe yourself in your own sight for your iniquities and for your abominations. And beloved, that is true for us. We need to do that. We don't say, well, God forgives me. It's, he is faithful in his covenant. His grace is sure. Let me sin that his grace may abound. Rather, just as when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we prepare for it. Why do we need the body and blood of Christ Jesus? Why do we need it? We examine ourselves, first of all, and we see our sins. And we need to hear about that sin week after week so that you and I may loathe those sins, the evil that we have done we may pray to God to forgive those sins. For it is in the way of confessing our sins that God is pleased to graciously forgive us. So why does God do this wonderful thing? First of all, because of his faithfulness to his covenant. But you're going to notice another thing in our passage. Over and over, we have read that phrase... For the sake of his name. For the sake of his name. That his name will be sanctified. Listen a moment to verse 21. But I had pity for mine 
holy name which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen whither they went. Again, verse 22. Therefore I say unto the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen whither ye went. Verse 23. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. <clears throat> and in verse 23, what God is speaking there is about how the people lived amongst the heathen, increasing their sins even beyond what the heathen did, he says. They said, this is the people of Jehovah, and look at the way they live. God's name was profaned. And when you and I walk in sin and rebellion, and that sin is public, God's name is profaned. Think a moment of all the instances <coughs> that have come forward about abuse in the church. And others look then at our churches and they have nothing good to say about them. In fact, they rail against our churches. We have profaned God's name. Where God was, should have been honored, where we lived obediently for him, we sinned. Oh, may we loathe our sins. <clears throat> and God says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take you back from that land and again bless you in your new land. And I'm going to do something wonderful inside of you with a sprinkling of clean water. I'm going to give you new hearts where the law is written where you love me from your heart and because you love me from your heart, now you're going to serve me with your hands and with your feet and your whole life. For God's namesake, God does that with his church. Not because we deserve it. Not because we're better. Not because of something that we have done. God's name. God does it because of his jealousy. Jealousy for himself. Jealousy for his honor. Jealousy for his kingdom. Why should the heathen out there rail against God's people in the Old Testament? And why should the world that we live in look and find all kinds of faults in the church of Jesus Christ? Yes, I know, they want to find fault. They want to bring it down. God says, I'm jealous. I'm jealous for myself and I'm jealous for my people. My chosen race the bride of Christ Jesus. Circumcision in the Old Testament, no more blood, now water. But let's look a little bit more about then the second point, that new heart and the spirit within. We read in God's word, not by works of righteousness which we have done, that's not how we're saved, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by his mercy. He saved us. Oh, beloved, that's the text written on the threshold of faith. 
given a new heart. That's called, boys and girls, regeneration. That is the first work of the Holy Spirit. The sprinkling of clean water is a picture of the Holy Spirit being poured out on Pentecost. Poured out upon his church. Poured into the hearts and the lives of God's people. That Spirit comes to you and me who are dead in sin and he makes us alive. And that's why we call it birth from above. Being born again. As I said way earlier, all that we as parents can do is bring sinful children into this world. They need to be regenerated. They need to be born again. And that is what the first prayer in the baptismal form is all about, isn't it? We're praying to God to take this child that is presented and to work that miraculous work of new life or a new heart within them. What is that new heart also like it is where we have died to self died to sin and have been raised to new life there's several passages i'd like to read in light of that and the first one is from romans chapter 6 in romans chapter 6 we read verses 3 through 6 know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. That's called sanctification. Living in cleanness. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. We have died to the power of sin in our lives. We've died to the power of Satan over us. And we are raised again now free to serve Christ Jesus. There's no shackles of sin holding us down any longer. We have that same imagery a little bit later by the Apostle Paul when he's writing to the Colossians. Colossians 11 and 12. He writes then to these Gentiles, in whom also ye are circumcised. No, not the outward circumcision. He says to these Gentiles, in whom also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. He says to these Gentile Christians, you have been baptized, or you have been circumcised, how? By the baptism where we have died with Christ, buried with Christ, and raised to new life. Regeneration, justification, we are made righteous in Christ Jesus, and now the life that flows out of it instead of pollution, instead of filthiness, 
washed away by the blood of Jesus, new lives, dedication, love for the Lord, service of the Lord. Where evil had its rise in its heart, that's where the source is, out of the heart are all the issues of life, that heart changed, that stony heart softened. Christ, by his Spirit dwelling within that heart. You see, love for sin had found itself in our old hearts. With all the troubles and disasters that take place in our lives later on. Israel had to be made a holy people. The church of Jesus Christ must be made a holy people. That's not something that we do ourselves. That is something that God does for his namesake in us. By his spirit. So that sprinkling of clean water that we read in our text is to be understood symbolically, isn't it? The removal of all that impurity and sin so that we are conformed, conformed more and more to God's righteousness so that there will be purity in heart and then because there's purity in heart, there is purity of life and conduct. Sprinkling speaks there of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. How are you and I saved? Baptism is called in Titus 3 verse 5, the washing of regeneration. Let me read that verse. Not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. What a precious thing then this symbol of water is, isn't it? What an easy thing for our boys and girls even to grasp. Mom asks the question of you in the morning when you get ready for school, have you washed yourself up? Or before you go to bed? Or especially on Saturday as you're preparing for Sunday, have you taken your bath? Just, boys and girls, just as we scrub our hands and our faces and our bodies with water and soap. Why do we need to wash? Well, the catechism says because of our filthiness. Imagine if you fell into a pig's pen. It stinks, doesn't it? Yuck. Or you're playing outside and it's rainy in this rainy season and you get mud all over the place. You wash it off with water. And now with the filthiness of our hearts and our lives, we need to go to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ bathes us in his spirit. He bathes us by the Spirit in the blood of Jesus Christ so all that filthiness of our souls and of our lives is washed away and we are forgiven. It's blotted out. What a blessing 
new hearts, alive hearts, alive to God and alive to his word, full of love for God, raised up from the dead in order to receive God's holiness and righteousness. What a God we have. And we read then in verse 37 that that is what God's people need to pray for. Let me read that verse. Thus saith the Lord God, I will yet, I will yet for this be inquired by the house of Israel to do it for them. As Israel had to pray to God to wash them from all their sins, to make them his holy people when he took them out of captivity. So you and I are called to ask the Lord for that gift of new hearts or renewed hearts and the dwelling of the Holy Spirit within us. For a catechism says the Lord will not give his spirit or blessing without our asking for it. Baptism. Every time in a couple weeks we're going to have another baptism. When we see that water sprinkled on that baby, may we in our own minds then think of what does my baptism mean for me? It means that I was dead in sin, but God raises me to new life. He has given me a new heart. He gives me his spirit. (coughs) I'm regenerated. And he's doing this wonderful work in me, sanctifying me. We need to go from the sign to the reality. There's all kinds of questions about that sign. Is the only legitimate water baptism immersion, which seems to be the teaching of Romans chapter 6 or Colossians chapter 2? Or is the only way of that water baptism by sprinkling? And there are those who argue that's the only proper way. Both are proper. Both point to what God does to us. You see, it's not the matter of how much water we receive. It's just a symbol of the reality. The blood of Jesus Christ that was shed that washes away our sins. You might remember Peter. There at the last supper, when Jesus took off his cloak and he washed the disciples' feet. And when he came to Peter, Peter says, no, 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 Lord, there's something wrong here. I should be washing your feet. And Jesus says, unless you are washed, you have nothing of me. Well, then Peter goes to the other extreme. Well, then, Lord, don't only wash my feet, but wash all of me. That's not necessary, Peter. It's a symbol. A symbol that the Lord Jesus was using there in the upper room. It's a symbol here in the church. It's not the amount of water. 
Why do we use sprinkling instead of immersion? Well, quite frankly, with the winter months that we have to suffer through for many months here, immersion out there in the lake or in a river would be rather cold, wouldn't it? Cornelius, when he and his household believed, we don't read in the Bible that they had to drop down to the river or down to a lake to be baptized, but in their house they were baptized picturing the wonderful reality. Their sins, though many, are washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ's Spirit dwelling within. So yes, beloved, baptism speaks of God's covenant. That covenant that he has with us, that relationship that's possible only by blood. Way back to Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve fell into sin. There they stood with their fig leaves, not very proper clothing. God gives them a proper clothing, animal skins, which come by blood. And the whole Old Testament, 4,000 years looking forward to the Lamb of God that would come to take away the sins of the world. And he has come. Baptism speaks of Christ's blood. And so in the New Testament you have Jesus Christ coming to John the Baptist. And Jesus makes a request of him which surprises John the Baptist. Jesus says, baptize me. And John the Baptist says, what? what? No, 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 no. I need to be baptized, but you, I have sinned. You don't have any sin. Jesus says, do it. To fulfill all righteousness. Jesus underwent the sacrament of baptism because he is the representative. He is the head of his church. And he willingly took all of our sins upon himself that those sins might be washed away. And his baptism then was a picture of his death on the cross. That is how all of our sins were washed away. You and I are given the sacrament of baptism. Because spiritually we are in Christ Jesus. He died our death. He took our sin, all of our pollution, all of our filth upon himself. He arose and he gives us that new life. And so Christ Jesus pours out his spirit on his church to live in the hearts and the lives of all his children, young and old. Boys and girls, Christ lives in you and in me. He lives in us by his spirit and by his word. He's never absent from us. We are born again, born from above. And with that spirit dwelling within us, he causes us then to loathe our sins as we read from Ezekiel chapter 30. Uh, Chapter 36, verse 31. 
we loathe our sins, we hate our sins, we flee from our sins. And the Spirit makes us desirous to live holy lives, lives of piety and godliness. And may we live those kind of lives in this world so that when others look at the church of Jesus Christ, when others look at you and me in our lives, they may see Christ living in you. And even if they don't like the church, they cannot badmouth it then. They can say, yes, they are a holy people, God's peculiar people. A life of sanctification, a new life. May God's name not be ill-spoken of because of the way you and I conduct our business or the way we act in school or what takes place in our homes, in our marriages, in our families. But God's name sanctified in us and God glorified in us. So each one of you, as you hear this sermon, and each one of us, as we look forward in a couple of weeks of seeing another baby baptized, ask, what does my baptism mean to me? Talk with your children about their baptism. What does it mean for them? It means this. We are made new creatures. It means that we belong to Jesus Christ. It is the comfort, as the catechism begins, that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Father in heaven, we're thankful for the earthly symbol of baptism. A symbol that even our boys and girls can easily comprehend. We need to be washed as our boys and girls sing that song, What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We pray, Father, for that reality then. We're thankful that we're given new hearts. We pray then that that spirit will dwell mightily within us, leading us, directing us, instructing us in thy ways, the ways of truth and grace that thy name may be glorified. Amen. Let's turn in our <coughs> Psalter to number 241. Behold God's truth and grace displayed, for he has faithful covenant made, and he has sworn that David's son shall ever sit upon his throne. We'll sing the first three stanzas of 241. <laughs> 